But for now, I want to read to you a well-known passage of Scripture. But I want you to hear it with fresh ears this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, from verses 1 to 10, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week. And it's important that that's why we had the sunrise, because the context is important. Years back, we had a, a sunrise service on a Friday, because Chad thought it was a better idea to have sunrise on a Friday. And then it dawned on him that we actually have a sunrise service on a Sunday, because it was at dawn, on Sunday morning, that Jesus rose from the dead. And so it says, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And so the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Don't you love that line? It's one of my favorite, afraid but filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I love that line as well. Suddenly, Jesus met them. And my prayer this morning is maybe you're a regular church attender. Maybe you've been dragged here this morning by family or friends. But I'm praying that for some this morning, you would have a suddenly encounter with Jesus. After hearing about this Jesus for years and doing the Easter thing and the Christmas thing, suddenly, Jesus appeared to them. Greetings, he said. They came to him clasping his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning, Father, we pray once again that just as the sun rose and there was a dawning and light began to shine, Father, we pray this morning that the light of your truth would break into our hearts. Jesus, just as you rose from the dead, I pray that this morning, new life, new power, new strength would rise in our hearts. Jesus, just as you conquered the grave, I pray this morning that where there's death, there would be life. Where there was defeat, there would be victory. Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us? Would you come and minister to us? Would you come and speak to us, I pray? Because we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Well, this morning... It's my great privilege to do a, a part two of what we looked at on Friday. It doesn't matter if you missed part one, but in a nutshell, on, on Friday we looked at God's justice part one. And what I love so much about the Friday is the cross of Jesus represents it. The cross of Jesus was the ultimate portrayal. The glory of God was displayed as His justice and His love and mercy met together. And as much as God is a God of justice, He wants to release His mercy and His love. But first, His justice had to be fulfilled. And at the cross, the justice of God was met so that the mercy and love of God could be poured out. But now, the Bible tells us that God has no favorites. And it's true. He loves all of us equally. 
But I don't know if that applies to the days as well. Because I kind of think to myself, if God had a favorite day, then surely Easter Sunday would be it. I mean, as a father, I mean, imagine that glorious day after seeing the, the, the torture and, and the pain that your son went through on the Friday. Imagine the wonder and the glory as he rose, as he raised Jesus from dead and saw him walking out of that tomb. And in Colossians 2 and verse 15, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, that's the beauty. The resurrection of Jesus is not just coming back to life again. Lazarus came back to life again. This was more glorious. This was the death of deaths becoming the most glorious victory celebration. This was Jesus from being held and, and held captive and, and the powers of darkness trying to grab hold of him, being exalted, overcome, victorious. It's a glorious celebration. And Easter Sunday, I want to focus today as we look at the justice of our God. Friday, at the cross, the justice of God was fulfilled. But the two, at the tomb, I believe the justice of God was enforced. Now I've chosen that word carefully. The justice of God was enforced. To enforce something means you have the legal authority to force something that's not currently being done. I'll give you an example. If you're a speedster and you don't like obeying the speed limit, and then the traffic officer has every right to jump up in front of you with a big smile on their face and put out their hand and hand you a fine because they have the legal right to enforce the law. And what we see at the, at the, at the tomb is the glorious enforcement of the justice of our God. You see, when death tried to grab a hold of Jesus, when death tried to take Jesus and keep him in the tomb, it was like the speedster who broke the speed limit because Jesus was innocent. You see, what I want us to see today is as just as our God is, the enemy is just as unjust. And the enemy's always going to try and overstep his boundaries. The enemy's going to try and take what doesn't belong to him. And if we don't understand the justice of our God, we can so easily allow ourselves to be robbed. And so here was death trying to grab a hold of Jesus. But look what it says in Acts 2. And verse 24, it says, But God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Don't you love that? Death could not keep its hold on Jesus, because Jesus was righteous. Righteous. Romans 6 verse 23 said, The wages of sin is death. But we know that Jesus was born of the virgin, born without sin. He lived in perfect innocence and holiness, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had not sinned. Death had no hold upon Jesus. Satan tried to break the speed limit by trying to get Judas to betray Jesus, by getting Jesus condemned. But the Bible tells us, John 14, verse 30, I will not say much more to you, said Jesus, for the prince of this world, Satan, is coming, but he has no hold on me. I love that. Once again, the enemy is trying to overstep his bounds. He had no hold. And what we see at the tomb is our Father God enforcing the justice of our God. Satan could not hold Jesus, 
because he had nothing to hold on to because Jesus was righteous. And so God could enforce his justice by raising Jesus from the dead because God's justice is enforced where righteousness prevails. And friends, this is the big idea that I want us to catch hold of today. This is the truth that I want us. On this Easter Sunday, I'm praying that this truth will grab a hold of your heart. The big idea is this. There's a word in the Bible. There's a biblical word that describes someone that the enemy has no hold of. There's a biblical word that describes someone that death has no hold of. Sickness has no hold of. You have no legal right to their lives. And that word is the word righteous. Righteous. You see, Jesus was righteous And so God could enforce his justice. Now, this is the truth I want us to grab hold of. God's justice is enforced where we position ourselves in righteousness. And if we could grab a hold of that truth, I'm praying that something's going to rise up by faith inside of us today. Lord, you showed us at the tomb the enforcement of your justice where Jesus was righteous. And then I want to show you the glorious truth that actually in Christ we too have this amazing righteousness. You see Hebrews 1 verse 8, it says, but about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. That word scepter means the the symbol of your authority, the sign of your authority. And as the kingdom of God advances, it advances as Jesus holds out his scepter of justice. You see, all over the world, the enemy comes to rob, kill, destroy. He comes to take what doesn't belong to him. And yet I want us to see the power of righteousness means the enemy has no hold. And where there is righteousness, the justice of our God can be enforced. And I'm praying that today something is going to stir in our hearts to say, Oh, let the justice of God flow like a mighty river. Because Jesus was righteous, death sin or Satan had no hold on Jesus. And so with perfect justice, God could raise him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is a glorious display of the justice of our God. That's why justice and righteousness are so closely linked. God's justice is for the righteous. That's why as I've been pondering this, God spoke a word over us. Outlookers, God has spoken a word. He says, you've been faithful with the revelation of my gracious hand. And now I want to show you my mighty hand. And it's the mighty hand of God, I believe, just as his gracious hand rests upon us. It's his mighty hand that wants to work through us. Just as his gracious hand is his favor upon us, his mighty hand is against his enemies. It's his mighty hand that brings about healing and deliverance and victory and salvation. It was the mighty hand of God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And I believe at the heart of his mighty hand is the justice of our God. And I want us to grab a hold by faith today to realize his justice flows where righteousness prevails. That's why I love so much Romans 1 and verse 16 and 17. It says, Paul speaking to the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is. The message of the gospel doesn't speak about the power of God. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But now listen to verse 17 because it's linked. He speaks about the power of God to bring salvation. And verse 17 says, for, in other words, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He's speaking about the power of God because the righteousness of God is revealed. And I want us to see that connection today. I want us to understand where righteousness prevails, God's justice power can flow. And the more we understand the righteousness of God, the more we can trust, expect, believe, and stand in His justice, trusting for breakthrough and for victory. So that's the good news. Here's the bad news. Your righteousness is not enough. So if you're here this morning and somehow in your heart think, well, I think I'm doing okay. I mean, compared to so many people out there, I'm living a pretty good life. So on the scale of righteousness, I reckon I'm better than most. Not good enough. Maybe you're the one who's thinking, but I'm a church going top. And I've been to church enough that surely God must have like tipped the scale in my favor. Or maybe you think to yourself, I kind of, I'm major on doing good stuff for others. I want you to declare to you today that our righteousness will never match the standard to meet God's justice. Our righteousness will never be enough. In fact, Jesus, well, he just brought it straight to the point. And he said in Matthew 5 and verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they were professional righteousnesses. I mean, that's what they did. They lived their lives to show people righteousness. Every little dot of the law. They fulfilled everything to show everybody how righteous they were. Jesus looked at them and said, Your righteousness is going to have to be more than that. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, our righteousness is not enough. No amount of religion, no amount of good works, church attendance, or trying to be a good Christian will produce the righteousness of the kingdom. Our righteousness is not enough. But in Romans 5 and verse 17, Paul, who understood the wonder of the cross, Paul, who had the greatest insight into the wonder of what Jesus accomplished in Calvary, said, for if, Romans 5, 17, for if by the trespass or the sin of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The gospel is simply this. There is a gift of righteousness to those who believe in Jesus. This righteousness, this is God's righteousness, and this is the righteousness paid for on the cross. We studied it on Friday. And this righteousness that Jesus paid for, He now offers to us as a gift to those who by faith will say, yes, Lord. To those who by faith will stop trying their own ways, their own righteousness, and surrender and say, here am I, Lord. I receive it. I trust in you more than I trust in myself. I humble myself to you. He gives them the gift of righteousness. God's power is linked to His righteousness. And what I want to share today is if you are righteous, not by your own strength, not by your own attempts, 
But if you have the righteousness of God, then you can trust, expect, and contend for his justice power to work in and through our lives. Amen? God's power is linked to his righteousness, and righteousness places a demand on God's amazing justice. So how do we respond? I want to look at just two things this morning. Two ways that I believe we should be responding to the revelation of God's justice is linked to his righteousness. Number one, we need a revelation of the justice power that flows towards righteousness. Paul was so passionate about this. Things that he was most passionate about, he always turned into his prayers. I love studying the prayers of Paul the Apostle because he never prayed for a church building. He never prayed for a church to grow in number. But what he prayed for reveals what he believed was most important. And in Ephesians 1, 18 to 21, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Basically, he was praying that the load shedding would stop spiritually. In other words, you know that, that kind of feeling when you've been in the house and you've been playing Monopoly or whatever it was and everything's quiet and everything's dark and then all of a sudden it's like the house comes alive again. We've got, I don't know if it's the microwave that beeps or the alarm or the prepaid, I don't know what it is, but there's all kinds of beeps and dings that happen and suddenly lights come on. It's like the whole house just comes alive again. That's what Paul's praying. He said, spiritually, you're like in load shedding. You're dead on the inside. And he's praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that there'd be a few ding moments, penny dropping moments, aha moments, I've got it moments. And I'm praying for one this morning. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And that means it's still covered by this prayer. I pray for an enlightening moment that you would know his incomparably great power for us. Say for us. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, in other words, the power for us, you and me, the power that he wants to work in our lives to enforce his justice against the enemy, his power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. I love that. It wasn't just from death to life. It was from death to glory. And God wants to work his justice in your life not just to bring life back to areas that were dead, but to bring them to victory. What you considered lost or broken or failure or shame, God doesn't just want to restore to life. He wants to bring it to victory. The justice of our God to turn what the enemy's robbed and stolen, what the enemy is illegally trying to take hold of. He wants to enforce his justice, not just to life but to victory, to a place of overcoming and conquering. He raised from the dead, seated at his right hand in the heaven realms, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus experienced the incomparable power of God because of his righteousness. And friends, We've been given that righteousness. We've been given the gift of his righteousness. 
And just as Jesus, lying in a tomb, because of his righteousness, the justice power of God was worked against the enemy, you and I, when we get that revelation moment, can say, surely, Lord, if you did that for Jesus because of his righteousness, and I've got that same righteousness now, how much more shouldn't I expect your power to work inside of me? I don't want to settle into my death. I don't want to settle into my brokenness. I don't want to settle into defeat. I don't want to settle. I want to trust you for your justice power to flow through your righteousness. With the gift of his righteousness came the power of his justice. And when that becomes a revelation, I want to leave you with this one big challenge today. I want us church, I'm speaking to all of us, outlookers, to then learn to contend for the justice that flows from righteousness. Jesus shared an amazing story. It was a parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So everything that I'm about to tell you in the story right now has a context. We told up front, which is rare, exactly what the purpose of this parable is. This parable is for Christians who don't pray. And he puts his finger right here on, this is the reason why you struggle to pray. And this is the reason why you give up so easily in prayer. Jesus told this story to set us free, to inspire us, so that we would become great prayers. Here's what he said. Verse number two. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that he gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> The power of widows. Don't you love it? Here was, there was something tenacious about this woman of God. There was something tenacious. It said, I have been robbed of justice. And this is not right. And something about this widow said, I will not settle. I will not manage my life around injustice. I am going to pursue justice until I get it. And she pursued justice by going to the judge day after day saying, this is not right. And he tried to put off, put off until eventually he did it. Verse number six, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Now this is weird. Jesus is now comparing God to the unjust judge who didn't care? It, it's, it's confusing. But our God is the God of justice. See, we don't always understand why justice is delayed. But if even an unjust judge granted justice, how much would the one whose very name is justice, how much would the one whose kingdom is built on justice want to grant justice to his chosen ones? Listen to that verse again. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? But here's the thing. The verse doesn't stop there. Most Christians who have a bad prayer life think the verse stops there. 
God, you're the God of justice, and I'm one of your chosen ones, and yes, you are, so surely justice should flow. But Jesus said this, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Isn't that amazing? It's almost as if the Father is saying, come on, my chosen ones. I want you to cry out to me. I want you to contend against this injustice. Now, here's the thing. Many, many Christians, not here, other, other churches, other, <laughs> have fallen into the trap of the enemy and the new age thinking of the world, which says, surely, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Many think, well, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Surely, I'm just going to relax. If God wants it to happen, God is sovereign, it'll happen. Friends, what we read here is Jesus saying, I want you to cry out to me day and night until the justice you know, because you read it in your word. You read it. This is my will, and it's not happening. I want you to get a hold of it until justice is done. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's because we live in an unjust world, because the justice of our God was handed over to Adam and Eve, who then handed it over to the enemy, and we live in a broken world of injustice. We live in a broken world of an enemy trying to rob, kill, and destroy. We live in a world where Christians have been robbed of so much, and the response too many times has been passive. No, 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 no. This is teaching us to cry out day and night, Lord, we stand in your righteousness, and so, Lord, we expect the power of your justice. Can you say amen to that? Church, if this revelation dropped in our hearts, we would become an amazing praying church. We would be looking in God's word and saying, Lord, you're speaking here about people being healed, delivered, set free, breakthrough, Churches planted, revived. Lord, you're speaking here about marriages, husbands loving their wives, wives loving, submitting to their husbands. You're speaking about families. You're speaking about things which we're not seeing. So we know your will, and we know the enemy has been robbing and stealing. Lord, we are the righteousness of Christ. Let your justice flow like a river. And like an un that widow on the door of the heaven would be saying, Lord, we're appealing to your very justice. Come and enforce it. Just like you did at the tomb. Come and enforce it in our lives. Yeah. I haven't convinced some of you. That's okay. <laughs> Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, uh-oh. However means probably he's about to put his finger on the problem. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I want to tell you, you know what faith looks like? Faith looks like, God, this is in your word. This is what your will is for my life, for my family, for our church, for our city. This is what your will is, and we're not seeing it done right now. And so, Lord, we're not going to settle. We're not going to manage our lives around. We're not going to make friends with your enemies. We are going to contend for justice day and night. And if we don't see it, that's okay. We're going to keep on knocking on the door. We don't know what's delaying your justice, but we know, God, you are good and you are just, and we will contend until we see your kingdom advance. Will, we find, will he find faith on earth? It requires faith to contend for justice. 
So let me leave you with one example. What does it mean to contend? And you know, you've heard me speak about it. I'm contending in my heart right now, Lord. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing in the same way. Church, we're the body of Jesus. We should be saying, we only do what we see Jesus doing. And what we see Jesus doing was healing and healing and healing and setting people free and healing and delivering. And inside of our heart, there's a justice cry in my heart saying, Lord, we want to see justice. We want to see your kingdom breaking in. Sickness came into the world as a consequence, a wage, a punishment for sin. Think about this with me for a moment. Before Adam and Eve sinned, There was no sickness in the world. Sickness is like a perversion of God's creation. And sometimes, now let me say this really carefully. I don't want anyone to get into bondage this morning. Sometimes, I'm going to be lovingly honest with you. Sometimes we are sick and it's our own fault. As much as we blame the enemy, It's our own fault. And and in fact, the Word of God is full of examples of where our own behavior, because we're living in active rebellion to God, has opened the door for sickness to come and reign. Remember I spoke about Jesus, His righteousness, the enemy has no hold. And when we confess our sins, we'll see in a moment that hold is broken, but then we can make another deal with the enemy. Did you know the Bible says, and, and there's a whole lot of them, for example, it says, jealousy rots the bones. Isn't that strange? In other words, sometimes it's fear, it's worry, it's doubt, it's jealousy, it's bitterness, it's unforgiveness. Sometimes, lovingly, it's your bad habits. And you can blame the devil and pray for healing, but honestly, it's your bad habits which God's convicted you of, but you've stubbornly held on to, which are now affecting your health. So sometimes, yes, it is our fault. We have chosen. Bible says God's word brings healing. Not just reading a verse every night, but obeying God's word, which brings healing. Because we repent of our lifestyle. In fact, it says in James 5 and verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Healing comes when we bring stuff out of the darkness into the light, becoming the righteousness of God so the justice of God can flow and healing can break out. And yet many times, many times, you love Jesus, you're walking with the Holy Spirit, you're confessing your sin whenever you make a mistake, and yet there's sickness in our lives. And this, there's something of the righteous anger of God rising up inside of me, and I want it to rise up inside of all of us, saying, Lord, this is not right. And I'll tell you why, because it's not just for the same crime to be punished twice. I mean, even in our legal system, if someone's paid for a crime, then they don't have to pay again. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, it says about Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Remember, sickness came as punishment and Jesus was whipped. He was flogged. He was punished on our behalf. So if Jesus was punished for our sickness, why are so many saints still sick? That's injustice. And I want something of that, Lord, this is not right. Like that widow who knocks on the door of the judge, Lord, this is not right. As we stand in your righteousness, the gift of Jesus, 
Now will you come and enforce your justice? Are you willing to contend for the justice of the tomb? When we think about Easter, when I think about Easter, when I think about the Father reaching down to draw Jesus out of death, I think about the enforcement of the justice of our God because of the righteousness of Jesus. And then I think, oh dear God, you've given us that same righteousness. Not ours, his righteousness. What a gift. That's the gospel. That's why the gospel releases the power of God. And as we stand before God, we don't come to him as beggars. We don't come to him as slaves or servants. We come in the righteousness of Jesus. Saying, Lord, thank you for what Jesus has done now. By the righteousness of Jesus, will you stretch out your hand of justice and heal and deliver and set free. Church, I want to ask you this morning, the justice of our God, let's take hold of it. Let's contend for it. Let's see the kingdom come. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask the Muso team to come on up and I'm going to ask the Breaking of Bread team and they're going to offer you a little piece of bread or a little cup of juice. Why don't you hold on to it for a moment? And we're going to sing together, but before we do, I want you to close your eyes with me just for a moment. And Heavenly Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, I'm praying once again, Holy Spirit, will you take this truth about the enforced justice of our God and burn it into our hearts? Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, the power, your justice, the power of your justice flows through the doorway of your righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I'm praying this morning that something will begin to rise up inside of each one of us. Something of a a holy, righteous anger at what the enemy has tried to steal, the injustice of the enemy. Oh, Lord God, help us to rise up. Help us to be like that widow, Lord, who will not stop until we see our God's justice flowing like a mighty river. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's worship together. And in just a moment, Tom, Quinton's going to lead us in breaking of bread.